Good morning. Thank you to our Bible readers and thank you all for the opportunity to preach God's word this morning. Today we have come to the end of the Gospel of Mark and Mitch mentioned there's an air of encouragement and joy because of the resurrection, but what a very strange way for the Gospel of Mark to end. That last verse we heard is far from your typical happily ever after kind of ending. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The end. Cut to black, roll the credits. It's an abrupt ending, isn't it? Not only for those of us who know the Easter story, but for those of us who know any story. Is that really how you'd want the so-called greatest story ever told to end? We don't even see the risen Jesus, let alone see him ascended into heaven, like we do in Matthew, like we do in Luke, like we do in John. Come on, Mark, what is going on? This ending of Mark is not really the conclusion which tends to send us out on Easter Sunday with a feeling of triumph and victory. Yes, that message is there, but that's not where the book ends. Maybe if Mark ended one verse earlier, we would be happy. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. We could maybe live with that. But verse 8, they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Really? We're certainly not the first people to be surprised by this abrupt and strange ending to the Gospel of Mark. Even early on it seemed that to flee in fear was just not quite the right ending for Mark's early readers. And perhaps if you have your Bibles open in front of you, your eyes have already noticed that the last words we heard read are not the last words you see there. In most Bibles, it continues on with some warning signs, probably italics or brackets or both, and a message something like, the earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have verses 9 to 20. So should we have just kept on reading? I noticed on the screen there wasn't actually any markings to show the difference. And these extra verses do give a nice summary to the end of the story. They wrap it all up and frankly they end a bit more like how we'd expect a gospel to end. But most experts agree that they are not part of Mark's original work. And there's a few reasons why this is most likely the case. Firstly and importantly, these extra verses are not present in the earliest manuscripts that we have of Mark. And second, the verses are just not in the usual style of Mark and they don't, quit, they don't quite fit with the overall structure and flow and language of the book. It does seem to be the case of someone early on asking the exact same question that we've just asked ourselves. Is verse 8 really how the story ends? Some early scribes seem to have taken it upon themselves to add a little postscript to Mark, to wrap up the story and tie up any loose ends and that has been passed down in later manuscripts. So, that all means we're back to square one. Mark himself has truly left us hanging here, intentionally, with the women, silent and scared. Why? Why not stop with the awed suspense of the news that he has risen? Why not go on to delight us with the risen Jesus? Why not amaze us with his ascension? Why stop here on this somewhat sour note? Mark did this for a reason, and the rest of his gospel gives us the clues as to why. 
the more we reflect on chapter 16 and Mark as a whole, the less of a shock this ending might be. So let's pray as we conclude this book and we'll ask for God's help to understand how he is speaking to us here at the very end of Mark. Let's pray. Living God, thank you that you speak to us through your word. Open our eyes so that we may see what you are saying here. I ask, as your word is preached, it may be you who we hear and you alone who we worship. Grow us in our faith in you today, we pray. Amen. Last Sunday, we were with Jesus as he journeyed to the cross. He died and now has been buried. And along the way, all of his disciples left him. And now here in this final chapter, we find the last people left. The women, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, women who had been with Jesus at his death, seen where he was laid, and they now head to the tomb intending to anoint his body. These women clearly go to the tomb with the expectation that Jesus is dead. They've brought spices with which to embalm his corpse in order to, to put it bluntly, improve the smell of the decaying body, but also to demonstrate their love and care of their friend who has died. But all along they still expect him to be dead. As Jason Meyer says, the women go to the tomb not to witness the resurrection, but to delay his decomposition. The women came fully expecting death, but they had forgotten Jesus, what Jesus had told his disciples multiple times. Like in Mark 8, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and after three days rise again. They had forgotten Jesus' promise of life. So when they get there and the stone has been rolled away and a man in white, an angel, is sitting there and, and speaks to them, they are alarmed. Seeing this, the angel says to them in verse 6, don't be alarmed. And his reason for that is this. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And not only does this heavenly messenger tell them not to fear, but then he gives them a job to do. Verse 7. Go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And yet, what is their response to all of this? We've already seen it. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Their expectations have been totally overturned. They expected death and they found life. They were given a job to do, but they stayed silent. And cut to black, the story ends. Mark ends his book with the women responding in fear as they're told of Jesus' resurrection, as they confront the power and the identity of their friend. And just like he does there, throughout the book, Mark has been constantly holding up two alternate reactions to Jesus, two different ways that people can respond when Jesus challenges our expectations, fear or faith. The book of Mark contains a series of snapshots of people encountering Jesus and being faced with that challenge of fear or faith. And this too, we can see now, is the same question that Mark ends his whole book with. 
These women are faced with not so much of a fight or flight moment, but a fear or faith one. And by suddenly ending here, Mark has turned the question upon us. How will we respond to Jesus? In fear or with faith? We don't actually have to look that far back in Mark to find these other examples of people faced with the challenge of fear or faith in response to Jesus. It was only two weeks ago, two chapters back, where we heard of the last group who fled when Jesus upended their expectations. Back in chapter 14, Jesus was arrested and this was something that certainly did not match up with the expectations the disciples had of a conquering king. As Jesus heads to the cross, will the disciples be filled with fear or will they trust the plan that Jesus had told them at least three times before then? Would they trust in who Jesus was and what he had come to do? The outcome? Just like the women here, the men were filled with fear and chapter 14 verse 50 says, they all left him and fled. And that wasn't even the first time for the disciples. Right back in chapters 4 and 5, we saw a string of events where the disciples are confronted with the truth of who Jesus is as he triumphs over the spiritual and the physical forces around them. And their response tends to always be fear. In chapter 4, Jesus rescues his disciples from a storm which is going to upend their boat and potentially end their lives. But even more than the storm, it's their encounter with the powerful Jesus that leaves them, in verse 41, terrified. Mark says, they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The disciples were just not expecting, they were not ready for a man who can stop a storm and it scares them. And notice that their fear comes from a place of not truly knowing who Jesus is. Jesus, though, He calls them away from fear instead to trust him. He says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Then again, in chapter 6, the disciples see Jesus walk on water and Mark Mark records, they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed in the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Again, the disciples, when the disciples don't fully grasp who Jesus is and what he is doing, they are terrified. And Jesus here points to his identity. It is I, he says. If they truly knew who he was, they would not have to fear. And this theme goes on and on in the book of Mark. Chapter 9, Jesus is transfigured on the mountain and the power and the glory of Jesus is on full display as he becomes dazzling white. And again, Peter, James and John are so filled with fear they don't even know what to say. Once more, they're being challenged to respond in faith. This man in front of them is no mere man. In fact, the voice from the cloud tells them, this is my son whom I love. And what should they do? Listen to him. Both before and after his resurrection, Jesus was challenging people's expectations and calling them to trust in him rather than flee in fear. And so by ending the way that he does, Mark challenges us too. The ball is in our court. How are we responding to Jesus? 
Mark 16 challenges us to respond to Jesus with faith, but it also provides us with the very reason why we can and should have faith in him. Jesus Christ deserves our faith because of who he is and because of what he has done, and today we see that he has triumphed over death. Throughout Mark, we've seen Jesus demonstrate his lordship over the physical and the spiritual, and now here in chapter 16, the news is broken that he has defeated death itself. The heavenly messenger declares that he has risen. In the resurrection, we have the final answer to those two questions we've been asking as we've read through Mark over the last year or two. Who is Jesus and why did he come? Jesus is the risen Lord. He is the victorious Son of God. And Jesus came that he might die and rise again, demonstrating that his sacrifice was complete, accepted and effective. The empty tomb means so many things for us. It could be a whole sermon series on its own. And the New Testament goes on to expound all those meanings. To start with, it reverses the verdict that humans put on Jesus and it establishes instead God's judgment. And that is that Jesus is the victor. He is the winner. It assures us that our forgiveness is certain, that Jesus' work on the cross was not a failure or incomplete. And it demonstrates to us the incomparably great power of God. It confirms, as Timothy puts it, that Christ Jesus has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And it gives us confidence and hope that, as Paul says in Philippians, the Lord Jesus Christ will transform our lowly bodies to become like his glorious body. In short, the resurrection changes everything. J.C. Ryle, Mark's not here, but I had to throw a J.C. Ryle quote in for him. J.C. Ryle says, The resurrection of Christ is one of the foundation stones of Christianity. It was the seal of the great work that he came on earth to do. It was the crowning proof that the ransom he paid for sinners was accepted, the atonement for sin accomplished, the head of him who had the power of death bruised, and the victory won. What the women found that day, the empty tomb, and what that announced, the resurrection of Jesus, proves that Jesus deserves our faith, not our fear or our fleeing. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. But we see here that Christ has been raised. The tomb was empty and so our faith is not futile. Jesus is alive, so faith is the right way to respond. And remember, the only reason that faith is the right way to respond is because of who our faith is in. It's the power of the one in whom we put our faith that counts. And our Lord Jesus Christ demonstrates complete power, exemplified here in his resurrection. Do you agree? Have you seen that the only appropriate response to the news of Jesus Christ raised from the dead is to do as Jesus said to Jairus back in chapter 5. Don't be afraid, just believe. We are to have faith in Christ rather than fear. Mark purposely leaves his gospel, in a sense, unfinished because the ramifications of the news that broke that morning, the news that Jesus is alive, continue to reverberate to this day. The story continues with us, 
The good news not only demanded the right response of those women at the tomb, it demands the right response of us as well. It demands that we run to our living Lord in faith, not away from him. Even when our expectations are overturned, it demands that, sorry, it demands that even when his expect, our expectations are overturned, even when his way follows a path that is uncomfortable or surprising or costly or painful, that we don't flee from it, but we trust Jesus as we follow him through it. Least of all, we should fear death because Jesus is the very one who he has destroyed it. By returning to life, death has no power because Christ has defeated it. For those who have faith, there is no need to fear. And the women at the tomb were not supposed to flee in fear. No, they were actually given a job to do. The heavenly messenger tells them to go tell his disciples. Their job was to tell, to speak, to proclaim, and their fear kept them silent. Just like those women, most of us have heard and believed the good news that he has risen. Jesus is alive. And just like the women, we've been given a job to do, a very similar job, go tell. Or more precisely, as, Matthew, as Jesus says at the end of Matthew, go make disciples. I love that Mark ends his gospel here because he leaves the women in the exact same place as we are. People who have heard the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection and who've been told to share that news. And so their decision is our decision. Stay silent or tell others. That discomfort we feel at this abrupt ending should be the same discomfort we feel if we're not carrying out our job, the job we've been given. The news of the resurrection brings hope and joy and life and peace and it's not right to to keep that to ourselves. It can be really easy to be controlled by fear rather than faith and not be active in telling others this news which can change their lives, indeed save their lives. But Christ commands us to go and Christ has shown us he is worthy of our faith as we do so. This good news is the news we go out with but it's also the news that gives us the power to go. Our fears are overturned by the triumph and the victory we see in the empty tomb. And the risen Christ himself is who empowers us so that we can go and tell others. As we heard Lindsay pray, the power at work in us is the same power which raised Jesus from the dead. I want to point out one last thing. Notice who the women are told to tell this news to in verse 7. Jesus' disciples... And Peter. The fact that Peter is called out specifically should remind us of where we last saw him. Disowning Jesus, not once, but three times. Quite literally, not telling others that he knew Jesus. And the rest of the disciples? We've already seen they failed to turn their fear into faith too, as they scattered and fled even earlier than these women at the tomb. And yet, and yet, their merciful and kind friend Jesus is more faithful to them than they were to him. Jesus holds on to them. Jesus reaches out to them. He reconciles with them. He seamlessly invites them back into fellowship and ministry with him. 
This illustrates the way that Jesus relates to all of us. A few weeks back in a sermon on Peter's denial in chapter 14, Mark, Mark Smith this time, reminded us that you will fail Jesus, but your performance is not the final word. You are not rejected in your weakness because Jesus is accepted and the resurrection here proves it. We will respond wrongly. Too often we respond out of fear rather than faith. A bunch of people in the book of Mark did and I reckon most of us do at times too. But Jesus' faithfulness overcomes our fears and failures. So when we do stuff up, when we are silent... When we're afraid, when we respond wrongly, we're met with what Ryle calls the exceeding kindness of God towards his backsliding servants. A backsliding servant is an assessment which can apply to me more often than I would like. But knowing that Jesus' heart responds with exceeding kindness draws me back to him and keeps me going even after I fall. It's a Colin song. It says... uh, Jesus said that if I fear, I should come to him. And this must have done so for the women we've met today. Though Mark ends with them silent, we know they mustn't have been silent for long. For the disciples were told about the empty tomb. Indeed, Mark was told this very story. Though they fell down, Jesus picked them up and led them on, as he does with each one of us. Who is Jesus? Why did he come? As he ends his book, Mark is telling us that Jesus Christ is our risen, victorious and triumphant Saviour and Lord. And Jesus Christ came so that our fears might be turned to faith in him. Let's pray. Risen Lord Jesus, you are so powerful. Your resurrection shows us that. We know you have defeated even death. We know that you were lifted up in victory over sin. We know that you were raised to rule forever. And you are so kind. You love us despite our fears and failings. You welcome us back. And your faithfulness even to death is what has brought us life. So when we face difficult times but fail to trust in your loving care, Lord, have mercy on us. When we are silent rather than speak up for you, Christ, have mercy on us. When we are consumed with fear rather than faith in you, Lord, have mercy on us. Keep us safe, our God, for in you we take refuge. Amen.